try to surround yourself with people who are doing something at, at least aligned or similar and then just make connections. I think connections are the number one number one thing to do. And yeah, be ready. Always, always keep practicing your art, your craft of photography as well, so that you're ready to show up and, and be ready when the opportunity shows up. Welcome to the Travel Media Lab podcast. I'm your host, Yulia Denisuk, an award-winning travel photographer and writer, entrepreneur, community builder, and a firm believer that every one of us can go after the stories we've always wanted to tell with the right support, encouragement, and structure. I'm on a mission to help women's storytellers everywhere break into and thrive in the travel media space. If you're ready to ditch your fears to the side, grow your knowledge and confidence, and publish your travel stories, you're in the right place. Let's go. On the podcast today, we're talking with Pam Voth, a travel photographer and award-winning cinematographer whose work explores a connection to the natural world. Pam has been published in the New York Times, Condé Nast Traveler, Travel and Leisure, National Geographic, and many more. She's also head of creator relations for Sloika, the curated photography NFT platform. I actually met Pam in the NFT space, and I was immediately drawn to the way she sees the world, her passion for travel, and her stories of quitting her corporate job to pursue her passion, which of course resonated with me a lot. On this episode, we cover a range of topics from getting a multi-year gig of working with the Montana Tourism Board as their official photographer to getting an assignment with the New York Times and creating photo safaris around the world. We also talk about NFTs and whether or not women photographers have a place in that community. And of course, you may already know where I stand on this. I believe that they and us absolutely do have a space there. If the topic of NFTs intrigues you, be sure to check out two other episodes I did about them. That's episode 51 a beginner's guide to NFT photography, and episode 56, an update on my NFT photography journey. We'll be sure to link to both of those episodes in the show notes as well. So this episode you're about to hear, and truly most episodes of this podcast are brought to you by The Circle. The Circle is our membership for creators in travel media, like writers and photographers who want to publish their stories. And here is why you might want to look at the circle more closely. This October, I'm so excited about this, this October, we're going to be running a series of lectures inside the circle on improving your travel writing skills. On this podcast and in our platform, we talk a lot about pitches and the mechanics of breaking into and thriving in the travel media industry. And now we're also bringing you content that's going to help you become a better writer, a better pitch writer, creating better pitches, coming up with ideas and everything that comes to get your stories out there and work with publications that you want. We have an incredible, incredible travel writer come and do a series of workshops for us this October, and they're going to be free. These workshops are going to be free for our Circle members. I will be announcing more details about this as we get closer to October. But if becoming a more skilled writer of pitches and writer of stories is one of your goals, 
definitely look into becoming our circle member this fall because this workshop is going to be so, so great. And the great thing is that you can join us at three different levels starting at just $27 a month. So you can pay $27 a month and get access to this amazing content that one of the most successful travel writers in the industry is going to come and teach for us. And that's a really great deal. So yeah, we'll be talking more about it soon, but I wanted to mention it to you now. And you can get more information about the circle at travelmedialab.com slash circle. All right, now on to this episode with Pam. All right, today on the podcast, we have the wonderful Pam Voth, and I am just so, so, so excited to welcome you, Pam, on the podcast. I can't wait to talk to you. We've been having so, so many great conversations on Twitter in our NFT journey together, but I'm just so glad that that journey crossed over into the podcast, and now I get to come and talk to you here and, and interview you and learn more about your story. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here, Yulia. <laughs> I'm super excited to be here too. Me too. Me too, Pam. And yeah, guys, just, just so you know, the background of me knowing Pam, how do I know Pam? I know Pam from the NFTs. And again, I know I've promised to you guys before that this podcast is not about NFTs. It's not. We're still talking about travel media. However, there the lines are blurring because now I'm in that space. I'm active in that space. And that's where I met Pam. I absolutely loved all of her stories. And that's why today we're chatting with Pam. So your image from Romania of a uh, this wonderful man with a hat looking on as as cows are crossing the roads is such a excellent example of travel photography because it takes you right in there right it takes you right in the scene it situates you right there it's in the moment and i just love it so much and for our listeners we're going to link to it in the show notes so definitely check it out as pam is talking about it but what do you love about this work uh well this is one of my favorite shots both for the for the way it turned out like visually because it really uh sort of like encompasses my style of i love the human nature connection I love animals. Um, I love people and animals. But this one also brings in such so much of that sense of place of you know this little town in Romania. So I feel like I feel like it's a really good travel shot because it really puts you in the place right then and there. And it's unusual that this isn't an Instagrammable <laughs> spot. You know, like I feel like uh, I actually found this location because I was we we had driven into this little village the the day before like at kind of at sunset and we had to stop because there were all these cows in the road and I'm like this is so charming like first of all my mom and I were traveling together and we decided to just sort of travel off the beaten path and we wanted to go see rural Romania so we were in the Maramurush area of Romania and we just really wanted to like focus in on like rural life and with all these cows in the road you know it took us a while to get through that sort of cow traffic jam but then it got my it got my wheels spinning because I was like they're going to do this again in the morning because <laughs> cows do like the thing in the morning and the thing in the evening. And that's how cows are. So that evening I was like, okay, I'm going to figure out where these cows go. And of course, the way you figure out where they go is you look on the road, you can see where they've been, right? So there I am. I'm like, I'm going to track them down. I'm an animal tracker. I love wildlife photography. So like I, I'm in tune with what animals do. So I could figure out where they were. And so in the morning, like before sunrise, I was like following again the trail. And I'm like, I know they've gone down that way and they're going to come back up this way. So I found my spot where I've, I figured I could get a pretty good shot. And 
I think I nailed it. <laughs> you did. You absolutely did. Yeah. And I love that that man is there just looking on because it also adds that that really great human element. Um, so definitely check it out, you guys. We're, we're linking to this image in the show notes. So you mentioned that you love wildlife photography and a lot of your work is sort of centered around wildlife. So I'm just wondering, how did you first knew or how did you first became involved in animal photography, wildlife photography? How did you know that this is what you wanted to do? Oh, wow. Well, that's a really good question. Um, I do remember the very first shot I ever took, like as a little kid. I lived in Kansas and I knew that the Kansas state animal was the buffalo, right? The bison. But I also knew that there were no bison in Kansas. Like they've been eradicated, right? There, there's no wild bison in Kansas. But we went on this vacation, family vacation to South Dakota. And in South Dakota, there is a, a herd of wild bison. Of course, my parents didn't know any of this. They were just like, we're going to South Dakota on a, to the Badlands, right? And yet in the distance, I saw tiny little dots and, and there were wild bison out there on, on the horizon. And I just remember as a little kid, like standing with my back to my mom, you know, and I just kind of like reached my hand up in the air to reach for the camera. We had one of those little tiny like chocolate bar cameras, you know, you're just like, like with the cartridge and you had to like click it like that. And I just remember like putting it to my eye and taking a picture, like somehow capture the idea. There are bison in this world and they are out there just being wild bison. And somehow that just really, really was important to me. So I, I took the photo to like capture that and hang on to it. And, you know, like that, that just stuck, sticks with me that it was really important for me to see that and to connect these dots and to like also have this like question about like, why is it our state animal and it doesn't live here, <laughs> you know, in Kansas? And here I am in California where the state animal is the grizzly bear and it doesn't live here either. So I don't know, I have a little bit of this like, uh, like storytelling of like, people and animals. But to me, I'm always like oriented to the way I feel when I'm photographing animals. Like I feel so present. People say, how do you have so much patience to take a picture of an animal? And I'm like, well, patience to me in implies that you're waiting for something or that you got something else you got to do. And like, let's get on with it. Right. So that's being patient. Like, okay, whenever it happens. To me, I'm not being patient. I'm just being, I'm just there in my, like, I am just like, being present with whatever happens next and being ready for it. I always say that wildlife photography uh, requires, like, first of all, infinite patience and lightning fast reflexes, right? So, you know, you just have to, like, I never try to make an animal do something or look at me or like, I never interact with the animal and to change its behavior. Unless it's a dog, and then I'm like, sit. <laughs> but with wildlife, I'm, I always just love the feeling that I get when I'm photographing them. And so I, I've been told that I, I often photograph when other people like wouldn't click the shutter, you know, because it'll be like a funny expression or a, a really beautiful interaction and gesture. Like I always look for those things that are like a crystallized story in a moment, you know, like as photographers, that's what we do. <laughs> we try to like tell the whole story in like one instant. And I love how I love how you brought this this whole storytelling aspect into it because I think that that's really important. I consider myself a storyteller first and photographer, writer, and podcaster, whatever, second, right? So it's so cool for me to hear that as a little girl, you were already sort of looking for those stories and connecting the dots, as you put it. That's that's really cool. That's really special. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I just, I love wildlife photography. I know there's like, it's something I would just do every day, whether or not it was for sale, <laughs> you know, it's just the thing I love to do the most. 
But with that being said, I did try to turn it into something that could be a revenue stream for me where I, I was setting up photo wildlife photo safaris to take other people with me and to like have that feeling together, you know, like we want to get good images, but it's that feeling together and that like creating stories that then they could take home and like, you know, spread throughout their connections. And I'm like, okay, with my little like spark, we can get lots of people to love the wildlife. And for that reason, I, um, but, but some people like this lightning flat, fast reflexes aspect of it, of like knowing your camera really well and being able to like get the shot. I realized that I needed to train some people how to use their camera a little bit better because you get so like amped up when you're like in front of a tiger or there's the elephant or something. So I devised this sort of workshop that I taught and I called it the Barnyard Safari. And so we would go to, to barnyards and to, to interesting farm in situations in Montana. And I would work with people to photograph animals, you know, that are going to be there all day long. They're in a corral. There may be like a cow or a chicken. We could pretend like the cow is a giraffe or we could pretend like the chicken is a peacock, right? And so photographing with animals that'll stay in place. And so that's where I, that's how I ended up on an emu farm, <laughs> photographing this beautiful uh, shot that's another one of my uh, really favorite shots, but it's called the hatchling. And I was able to watch an emu hatching in an incubator as part of my barnyard safari scouting. I didn't have, end up taking people to the emu farm because uh, emus are quite dangerous. <laughs> as it turns out, they're really funny looking and, and interesting, but you don't want to get too close to them. So different than cows. We'll link, we'll link to this image that you're mentioning as well. It's called the Hatchling and it's now a, an NFT as well. And we, we will talk about NFTs in, in a little bit as well. But speaking of revenue streams and speaking of commercialization and, and workshops and all of this, you have an amazing portfolio of work and you've been published at the New York Times, Condé Nast Traveler, Travel and Leisure, National Geographic, many other places. And so I'm curious because I'm cheating a little bit because I already know the backstory of this from our time on Twitter together. But I'm curious, how did that journey unfold for you, right? Because you didn't start, you know, you, you didn't start from, you know, I want to be a, a photographer, I want to be a wildlife photographer to, you know, next day working with the magazine or working in, even with a tourism board. Like I know that you've been working with a Montana tourism board, which is a really cool gig. Let's talk about that as well. But how, how did that journey unfold for you, right? Because a lot of our uh, listeners, they're perhaps interested in taking that steps. They're definitely interested in travel. They're definitely interested in storytelling. So how do you marry those things, your passions? Because I know you're very passionate about those things. How do you marry them and say, no, you know what? I'm actually going to turn this into a career for me. I, I love to hear that story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, so I think I've done it my way. So I'll, I'll just tell you how I did it. But maybe there's some little pieces that would work for some people. But so I was in a corporate job. I worked in advertising agencies. Because that's the path we all take, right? We all take that path at first. We're all saying the same path because that's what we know, right? Uh, it's so funny. Well, and I loved, I loved the day-to-day -day working with creative people. I'm like, you know, I was, I was kind of on the relationship management, you know, account management. I was a senior account manager um, at a big agency and, and I got to work with creative people all day long. And in this, in this instance, I found myself on the client side working, you know, with the brand itself and working with agencies as the client. And it was a job that I was just like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, I'm not sure I'm fitting in with this very well. I was, uh, I was wearing my corporate suit. 
I was showing up for the corporate meetings, but I was driving a 1970 Volkswagen bus, guys. You know, I was not like in it all the way. I was just kind of like, it's, I, and, and I did find myself kind of with this like conflict in that, you know, like I would be sitting, like I didn't really want to go into the office. So I try to make it as easy as possible. I'd go get myself a really good latte from the local place and I'd drive to the beach. This was in San Francisco. And I, I would drive to Ocean Beach and, and like watch the surfers in the fog and drink my latte in my Volkswagen bus and be like, okay, I got to make the left turn and go down to the corporate campus, right? And I just like, how long am I going to do this? Just a quick side sidebar that that is how I knew that I had to talk to Pam because guys, this was exactly my story as well. I would have these, I was flying to LA from New York. I was on the brand side. So I was the person that you were interacting with on the other side. And I would fly to LA for the ad agency meetings. And before the meeting, because I was dreading my day, I was dreading that this is my life. I would go and get a coffee from a local shop and I would drive down to uh, Santa Monica Beach and look at the surfers on the pier. Like, And when I heard Pam tell that story, I'm like, oh my God, this is crazy. Because th- that was exactly what was happening to me too. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I don't know what it is about surfers, but you know, they're like in tune with nature and they're like not thinking about anything else right i'm like i mean they're working at nine in the morning when we are going to our corporate jobs that's the freedom i think that's what actually i think that's what it was we were looking for that freedom to say no at 9 a.m i'm gonna go surfing instead of that meeting that i'm dreading you know right right so it was it was during those years during that that time frame uh my mom came to visit me and she asked this like she, she was on the plane she was i was taking to the airport it was back when we could sit at the gate with them you know you could go into the gate and sit until they walk walk onto the airplane that was a while ago we all know but like she she we we're just sitting there waiting for the plane to load and she was like so what do you want to be doing in 10 years? And I'm like, oh no, if I continue down this path that I'm on in 10 years, I'm going to be like vice president of nothing. You know, like I'm going to be like in this corporate, like horrible soul sucking. And I just was like, right then and there, I, this answer just like bubbled up from inside of me. I want to be a wildlife filmmaker, you know, because that's what I want to do. Like she asked me, what do you want to be doing? And I'm like, that's what I want to be doing. So I put things in motion to go that route. This was a again, a while ago. So I was like, how do you become a wildlife filmmaker? And because I was just like, you know, I'm a corporate person over here, but there's, you know, there are people who do this other thing. How do you do that? So I found that there are wildlife film festivals. So I'm like, well, I'm an awesome networker. <laughs> I'm going to just go and network my way into this job, right? Like I, you know, this is, I had this idea, like you can do anything. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to go do that. Here I am. I've been, I've been working in advertising. I've been making 30-second movies called commercials. How hard could it be to make an hour-long movie called a wildlife movie? I mean, like, I have the skills. I have the production. You know, like, I know how things go. I know how to tell stories. I, You know, like, I, I understand, like, teams working together. I'm like, surely this will just be, like, I'll just go do this. Well, so I did go to Wildlife Film Festival in 1999. And then in, and I I did meet a lot of awesome people, but then they told me there's this other film festival you should go to in Missoula, Montana, like that happens in the springtime. So in between summer of 99 and spring of 2000, we had New Year's Eve, Y2K, right? And then Y2K, this was when the whole world was going to like melt down and the computers were going to blow up because no one knew to put in four digits for the date and all this stuff. So I found myself in Death Valley with three friends uh, because we were all artists and we all like wanted to be as far away from computers, you know, like as we could. And during that time in Death Valley at New Year's Eve, we were all like setting our intentions. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm going to go be this wildlife filmmaker. I'm going to quit my corporate job and I'm just going to go do this. 
And so I thought, okay, I knew that the film festival was in the spring. So I had a few months to, to like get my plan in place. So I was going to, I didn't have my own car. I, this Volkswagen bus was like, belonged to me and my boyfriend. So I'm like, I'm going to need a getaway pod. <laughs> so I'm going to have to get one of those. So, um, and I'm going to need some cash, right? So I was saving up like all my expense checks would go into my savings and all my, you know, like I was like getting some money together because I knew I was going to need a little bit of a road runway, as we say. Like, so, uh, so I did start, you know, cutting down all my expenses, saving all my money. I did sign up for like a course at this wildlife film festival about how to become a wildlife filmmaker. I'm like, see, there's even a class for it. <laughs> you know, you can go. It's that's sort of tongue in cheek because of course it takes a lifetime to actually be able to, to, you know, like get really deep into the industry. But here was this like entry point. This Someone was teaching me like, here's the things you need to do, the people you need to know, how you make the connections, you know, sort of like what you're doing with, with the travel media, you know, like here's some roadmaps for you to, to try. So I got a car loan and I bought myself a Jeep Wrangler because I knew I was going to quit my job and they weren't going to give me a, a car loan without a job. So I got my escape pod. And I went to this film festival in March. I Oh, I quit my corporate job. Yeah. So I went in, I gave him two weeks notice and I said, I'm going to go be a wildlife filmmaker. And this is when the senior VP called me into his office and he's like, Pam, how are you going to eat? And I said, you've never called me into your office before. We've never had a conversation. Like, what do you care? <laughs> like, you don't even know me. So I was just like, I got this you know, I, I'm going to go to this wildlife film festival. I'm going to make my way in, you know. So that's how I did it. And I did. I quit my job. People around me were just like astounded. They're like, I wish I could do that. But I have a kids. I have a mortgage. I'm afraid of dust. I'm afraid of, you know, like, how do you do this? And I'm just like, this is so, I just really need to do this. Well, as it turns out at this film festival, during my class, um, someone came in and said, well, I'm starting this wildlife film production company and we're looking for people to hire. And I'm like, well, go figure. I just like manifested this, right? So he was interviewing a lot of people. And the question was, what would you say if I ask you to carry 95 pounds, 13 miles uphill? What would you say? And I said, hmm, well, give me enough time, water and cliff bars and I'll do it. Because I knew my limitations and I knew I needed some, you know, fuel. And, but I had no other questions. I was like, I'm doing it. If this is what it requires, this is what I'm going to do. So I have that like commitment to be like, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I had this like, I already had a lot of independence. I already had this, a lot of like, you know, didn't seem very many roadblocks, <laughs> I guess. So I was hired because other people were asking, well, how much does it pay? And where do I take a shower? And, you know, different things. Well, so I called my mom and I'm like, I got this job. And her first question was, do they pay insurance? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I just said yes, you know. So I was required to be back in Montana doing this job in two weeks. So yeah, so that was that was a, an interesting drive back to San Francisco to pack up my life to then uh, be back in Montana. Yeah, I just want to just pause here real quick because you said so many important things there that I want to just pull out for our, our listeners as well. That listen, like you sometimes don't even need to know how this will all work out because when you're entering a new industry, and this is not just about wildlife photography or filmmaking, it's not just about travel media, it's with any sort of new endeavor. You know, if you want to be, I don't know, an acupuncturist let's say, or although maybe that's a bad example, because you probably need to go to acupuncturist school. But what I'm saying is, if you're entering a new space that you don't know nothing about, you need to start aligning yourself with people with events, you need to start getting yourself involved in the in the 
things happening in that industry. And that's how little steps by steps, you take these steps and, you know, you take one step, the next step appears. You take the next step, the next step appears. It's not, it's never going to be that you take one step and the whole path is like, oh, you know, everything is in great vision in front of you. But what I'm, what I'm seeing from your story, Pam, is that you, t- you took that first step. You went to that first film festival. You took that second step. They told you, hey, there is another festival you should be at. You went there, you took the class, you started talking to people and eventually you got hired by this company and that was your way into the industry, which is just such a beautiful story for me because that's exactly how this happens, right? That's how it happened to me as well. I, I had nothing, I had no idea how I'm going to be a travel photographer. Like I, I, I didn't know anybody in the industry. I didn't know any magazines. I didn't know nothing. But I started going to events. I started going to conferences. I started talking to people. Exactly the same, right? So you have to start showing up basically. Start showing up in the places where these people, these conversations happen. That's how you get into it. Exactly, exactly. And you also start telling people what it is you want to do. You know, I remember I was at a farmer's market and there was this person with a with a booth and, and they had these like horses and it's like, you can ride horseback into the wilderness. And I just like, I was like, okay, here's what I want to do. I don't know how to ride horses, but what I want to do is ride horses in the wilderness with my camera. And so like, And she's like, you can do that. Come over here. And so like for the next six years, I was with this equestrian club that was like teaching women how to ride Tennessee Walker horses into the wilderness. And and I became this photographer. I was already the photographer, but I became skilled enough at riding a horse that I could actually shoot, um, shoot photos for my horse. And that gave me like an amazing entry into like different types of Western Montana kinds of activities I could do. And again, I just showed up and I just said, told this person, here's what I want to do. And so I think that's another thing is like, don't think that something is impossible. I mean, you just have to like speak it and you have to let people know. And like you said, show up where those cool things are happening. Those, those people are, people love to help you create bridges. I find, cause I love doing that for people. I'm like, Oh, you should know this person, you know, like some people say that I can see the matrix, but <laughs> like, you can just see how this goes together. I'm like, yeah, but I can't find a restaurant. Like if you're like, what restaurant should we go to? I'm like, I don't know. Let's just walk that way. There'll probably be one. I love that. I love that so, so much. So, so you eventually started working with the uh, Montana Tourism Board and it was an ongoing relationship that you had. I, I, th- I believe you said you were working with them for several years. So how did that conversation happen or how did, you know, you're, you're working on this wildlife production company, uh, you're, you're working with the equestrian club. How did that transition to Montana Tourism Board happen for you? Yeah. So, well, Montana is not a very big state, <laughs> but um, there, at the time I was there, there were fewer than a million people. As far as population, it's very big in space. But so I was, you know, I, I, I was working as a freelancer for the for the smaller like Convention and Visitors Bureau for Missoula, Montana. And I was I was a freelance photographer for them. I got a contract to, you know, shoot summer. Actually, it was a contract through an ad, their ad agency. They had a local ad agency. So, so your ad agency background was, was helpful probably to you because you could start those conversations with those agencies easily probably. Yeah. Well, because I, you know, I had this idea. I, I want to do travel photography and because I, had, well, I just, I love taking pictures and I'm like, that's the cool job. So um, yeah, I, I found their, the ad agency for the local convention and visitors bureau. They had this short contract. We need you to go out for four days and photograph summer. 
And what they said was, we want travel photos and travel photos have to have people in them. I'm like, hmm, oh, I've never heard this before. I'm just taking flowers and animals and landscapes and things that I think are pretty about the place. They say, no, travel photography, this has to be travel photos. So in every place, you have to have a person in there because because we're going to use these photos to to sell Montana and, and people need to see themselves in that place. And so they need to see themselves in a canoe or at the farmer's market or riding a horse or, you know, these things. And so I was like, oh, OK, this is different. So I shot for them. I did really good. So I, then I got the fall contract. Then I got the spring contract. And then because of that connection, you know, they they knew the person who was putting out the RFP for being for the Western, it was called um, Glacier Country. So Montana is divided up into different tourism areas. So Glacier Country was basically Western Montana from like Glacier down through like the bottom of Missoula County. Or the, the, yeah. So I had to put together a pitch, like a, a, an RFP. So I had to like say, here are my qualifications as a photographer. Um, here's my portfolio. I already shoot these types of things. I already shoot people doing cool, fun activities, eating, drinking, staying in cool places, hanging out with their family, you know, doing all these sort of travel photo types of things. And here's my rates. I'm insured. You know, here's my gear that I have. And I showed up as a, as a business person, you know, like a freelance photographer and I got the contract. And so I was very, very excited. That was like one of the best days ever. So that like ramped up my photography a little bit more because the way they would do their photo shoots is like, we have two full days and we're dividing it up into like from sunrise to like 9am, we're going to be shooting this. And then from like 9.30, we're going to shoot this. And from like 10 or like 10.30, we're going to shoot this. And then we're going to like completely schedule out the day. And I was like, wow, this is like, like, but I remember from my advertising agency time, this is a production day. It's not fun and games. It's like, we got to move. We got to get the shot. We got to get what the client wants because this is my client now. Right. And so that, that was a relationship that, that went on for several years. Um, and my photos were used in their, in their travel brochure. Like if you're like, I'm going to go to Montana, they would send you this like glacier country brochure and it had my photos all through it and everything. So yeah. So that's how that came about. <laughs> I love that. I love that story. And yeah, it sounds like your background. That's that's what I also t- always say that everything that we do in life prepares us for the next step. So even like a lot of people that I interview on the podcast, they're all converters of some some so- sort, right? From corporate jobs to something else, from from something else to photography, from something else to writing. But everything you do in life, you bring all those skills and all that experience and knowledge with you. So I love seeing that with you. And you also mentioned something interesting, which is it's not fun and games. It's a production day. It's, you know, it's a lot of work. So the question I have for you is, what would you say are some of the biggest misconceptions or some of the biggest misunderstood parts of being a travel photographer? Mm, Well, I would say, well, when you're working with a client like this, with a tourism bureau or, you know, if you're on set with them and in this case, you know, they lined up the the red convertible we were going to drive through Glacier. They lined up the ranger who was going to be with us. They did a lot of that production work, which, you know, because they had all the connections and because, you know, they're the they're the client and, and they're selling, you know, these, you know, the boat rides on the at the park and all these things. So they, they were able to line all this up. But what they needed me to do was, you know, tell them where what to do <laughs> and, and i'm i'm so much of a i shoot what's there you know like on, on my own i shoot what i see i go looking for it i i get i get intrigued by it i go follow it i had to like switch the switch it and be like okay what would i hope to encounter and then like set it up 
So the idea of, you know, shooting in this way, it's not just like, go shoot it on your own time. Like we have a schedule here. And so that to me was really um, relied on my skills of being able to like, know my gear, know my camera, know what lens I'm going to be putting on my camera right now. I always had a backup camera in my you know, in my vehicle, you know, because like you have to be ultra prepared, you have to have all your batteries charged, you have to have, I mean, and they were there to help me with all the other stuff. But I was the only I didn't have an assistant with my photography part. So this was what I had what I what I realized about myself is I do a lot of talking while I'm shooting that they're going, what do you what do you need? What do you? I'm like, Oh, I don't, <laughs> I don't need you to do anything. I'm just telling myself like, okay, watch this, you know, like, I should keep my voices in my head instead of speaking out loud. <laughs> because what I had what I was finding was something I needed to work on was to be able to direct the scene and to direct exactly what I want to see in this frame uh, because I could, you know, because I had, they're like, what do you need? What, what wardrobe do you want? What, you know, where should the car be driving, you know, and all this. And, and, and the thing was to keep your mind, your, your goal on what it is we're selling. We're not selling the fashion of like the woman wearing the shawl. We're selling the destination. So back up, show the scene. The person in the scene is like a smaller part of what the story is, but it's a really important punctuation point. So you have to put them in the right place. You have to think about how is this image going to be used in the double page spread? How's it going to be used on the cover? You know, all of, so understand where these images are going to be used. A lot of them were just going to be, oh, we're going to use it in a, in a, a small little inset PR thing, or, you know, so shooting a broad range, you know, all of these things are going on through my head. But I guess the number one thing is to know what the client wants and have a really open conversation about that about what they're looking for, and then realize all the money that they're pouring into setting all these things up and go, oh, this must be important. We better make sure that this is like in the scene. And again, that's very different than just being freelance, telling this, your own story, you try to tell their story. Yeah, and, and I think it's interesting. It's it's great to have both of those skills, right? Because you never know what project comes about where that's going to be required. And I'm resonating a lot with what you're saying because for most of my work, it's the latter. It's the one where I go and follow and I shoot what's there. I'm not directing anything, you know, but there were a couple of occasions where I had to become that creative director and say, no, turn this way or go here or do that. And it's definitely a a different type of a skill that I think to be a well-rounded photographer, you need to have both of those. So so that's uh, really important. So let's talk a little bit about some of the work that you've published in some of these amazing magazines, because that's the other part that I know our, our listeners are always interested in as well. So, you know, you're working with the tourism board, you have all these other projects. How did you figure out, that, like, were you pitching editors at magazines or how, how did you figure out that relationship? Well, for some of them, well, for example, um, the M Le Magazine de Monde, that's a French magazine that they had, for some reason, like there was some interesting Montana connection that they figured out that I'm this like Montana photographer. So they contacted me and actually asked me to go shoot for them. And it was it was shooting actually a Western author <laughs> who is a, um, like he, he writes these uh, these Western novels. And it was like a, like this really like Montana character. And so I was assigned to go, they said, well, we've got someone to do his portrait. Like you don't have to shoot the author, but, but he writes about Montana. So we want you to go to the place where he writes about and shoot Montana. And they had seen my Montana photography before. So that in that instance, it was a commission deal where they, they sent me out on assignment 
And of course, I hadn't read any of his novels. I didn't have time between getting the assignment and reading a few of these Western novels. But I was like, okay. But I knew the bar he hung out in. They told me what bar he hung out in. So I went there and I, I asked people like, well, what, what should I show about this place? You know, like, where are the cool places? Bars are a really good place to find local information about wildlife and about like just what's happening locally. You know, people will give you uh, give you insight, I think, when you're in this place where you can just have a conversation and, you know, meet the locals, as it were. So in that instance, it came about as an assignment, a commissioned assignment. Um, some of the other work I was covering, either like some Montana happening that they knew I was a, a photographer there, like in the New York Times, there was this big story with Canada wanting to run a lot of oil rigging gear through Montana up to Canada. And we were like, no, we don't like that. So I went and I photographed Onyx Smith. She was one of the, she's well, the producer of A River Runs Through It and many other films. So she's someone that I knew locally. You know, you, again, you, you hang around the people that are the, the movers and shakers, if you can find them. So I was I was sent on assignment to, to photograph her in different places in Montana for the New York Times story. But some of the other work, because I was shooting for Glacier Country in Montana and because I was shooting for this luxury ranch resort, a lot of the photos I shot for them, they would use as PR pieces in Conanast and Travel Leisure, Travel and Leisure and some of these other places. So by nature of working with a client, my work ended up there and, and was credited. In many cases, it was credited. Sometimes when they're using PR photos, um, they will give you a photo byline. It, they were not really used as advertising per se. And in which case, you know, usually when your photos are in advertising, you don't get a, a credit, you get just the licensing for that. But yeah. So it's important that you have established a really strong niche for yourself. Like people knew you as the Montana photographer. So whenever they needed Montana photos, they came to you. And that's so important. And I always talk about that as well on the podcast that figure out what you're like for me, for example, this is happening with the Middle East. You know, people are coming to me because they know me as the Middle East person. They know me. I, I have a lot of work in Jordan. So whenever somebody needs Jordan, they come to me, right? So it's really important that you build up that niche. And sometimes it happens by chance that you end up photographing a lot of something in a specific destination. But sometimes you can be more intentional about that and say, you know, this is what I want to be known for. Like my portfolio can be broad, right? I, I can have many skills, but this is what I want to be known for. And that's, uh, that's really, uh, really important as well. So let's talk a little bit about sort of where you are today, because you're, you're not in Montana, you're, you're in California. You, you, have, you have such a, you have an incredible career, an incredible portfolio of work. And as we mentioned at the beginning of today's conversation, I know you through NFTs. So I would love to know what has drawn you into the NFT space. And here's why I'm asking, because a lot of the people I'm talking on Instagram, in real life events and conferences, specifically women, a lot of women are curious, but they feel like they don't see themselves in, in the NFT space. They feel like they don't belong. And in fact, just recently I posted, you know, I'm, I'm going to run, I'm going to have a or actually, I think when this episode comes out, the workshop will already be over. But I'm running a NFC workshop this this August, and I posted about it on Instagram. And I've gotten a lot of messages of people saying, I'm going to unfollow you because you are encouraging other photographers to get into NFT space. The NFT space is a horrible space. It's a, it's a Ponzi scheme. And why are you doing this? I'm very disappointed in you. So, And these were women that wrote this to me, women photographers that I know. 
and I see this like like some of them are curious, but they don't see they don't think that they belong. Some of them are not curious and they think it's a horrible place. So I would love to hear your thoughts on what drew you to the NFT space in the first place and how do you find it? Is it a Ponzi scheme? Well, that's a really so I remember kind of how I got here and it was in the days of Clubhouse. Like what was it last year, February, March or something? I was invited to Clubhouse by the head of marketing for Nestle. <laughs> like because I was in some kind of webinar with her and she was like da 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 only by invite, send me a DM and I was like I didn't know what she was talking about, but I was like I'm going to just see what that is. And so um yeah, so that was back when it was like invite only. I don't know if it still is or not. So I was just like, this is the coolest thing ever. You know, I, I could just spend hours like listening to people talk about creative ideas and cool things and stuff. So and, and, and I found this like group of photographers there on Clubhouse who were all talking. And, and, and then I kept seeing these spaces showing up with NFT, NFT. And I was like, what is that? I'm staying away from that. I'm staying away from that. And then I'm like, well, it's everywhere. So maybe I should <laughs> like, I'll check it out. I'm like, what is this? OK, because I'm always curious and I, I don't, you know. I'm not super FOMO on things, but I'm always like, well, something's going on. What's over there? You know, it's that like, hmm. And so I didn't listen to the NFT spaces on Clubhouse. What I did is I went and I Googled it and I found, I don't, I'm sure a million people have watched this video from Lindsay Adler. It put out by Adorama. She's like, she was a photographer that I always liked. I'm not a fashion photographer, but I love the way she teaches lighting. And I love the way she just, she just is a, like powerful, successful woman photographer. And I'm just like, yeah. And so, so I was like, okay, I can trust her because I've heard her teaching before. And so I'm like, surely she's like looked into this. And so now I'm going to just, so she had this like three part video series that was published by Adorama. And she's like, explained very clearly what it was. And, you know, she's like, you know, when we sell prints in the real world, it, like you might have a limited edition print. Like this is the only type of print that's on this kind of paper at this size, you know, um, and so there's like one of 10 and you can buy one of 10. And then maybe you will print that image in another way. Maybe you'll put it on a poster, right? And a poster, you can get like 4,000 posters, but it's a poster. It's definitely not the, you know, printed on, you know, fancy paper over here. And she's like, NFTs could be thought of as sort of the same way. It's another format of your image being out there and available for sale. And the cool thing about an NFT is because it's on the blockchain, it has provenance, right? You know exactly that it was minted. It was put on the blockchain by this or the exact the exact artist who made it. And then when it's traded or sold, all of that information is recorded on the blockchain. So it's kind of like back in the in the days when, you know, the masters were selling paintings. It's like, who has the painting? Well, there are some painters who would say on the back of their painting, I sold this to so and so. And so then when that painting got sold again, on the back of that painting, it said, well, now it has been sold to so and so. And the provenance is recorded, you know, on that physical painting. Well, in this case, the provenance of that image is recorded on the blockchain and you can track it and it's public information. And so I was like, okay, all of that makes sense to me because I knew about licensing images. I knew about, you know, when I say someone can use my image, I never, ever sold my copyright. I never, like, I'm always like, I always maintain copyright. Maybe I give you like full use of the image forever and ever, and you can do whatever you want with it. Yeah, great. But I still own the copyright. And so that was always like really important to me. And in NFTs, you can decide what rights you're actually giving, selling away with that because it's recorded in the smart contract on the blockchain. So I was like, all of this makes perfect sense to me. And if there are people who are art collectors who want to collect my work as art, because I've had that 
happened before. I used to be part of an artist gallery and people would buy my buy my pictures to hang on their wall, that those kinds of pictures, not the travel photos, but those sort of fine arty kind of pictures. So I was like, okay, this this seems like something I can understand as a photographer. And I feel protected as a photographer because I know that it's all about like, I'm still in control of my images. So I just kind of watched that series of videos like over and over again. Um, that was back when, when ETH was like $1,900. And now it's actually like zoomed up to like over 4,000. And now it's like not back up to $1,900 again. So yeah, there's that like volatility with the actual currency that is used to buy and sell these NFTs. But yeah, so I I, I got into it uh, with like I educated myself quite a bit before I went into it. But um, what I saw it as is a another revenue stream for my images. And so and I was like, I'm a photographer that likes a lot of revenue streams. Also, just a real quick note about it being, you know, like a real deal in terms of like collecting art. Um, There is an NFT gallery in Chicago called I'm Not Art. And I had a piece in their gallery for for a bit and for one of their exhibitions. So I got to talk with the gallery owner for a bit. And he said that NFTs are seen as this new form of art, actually, you know, like art collectors really consider this um, because of all those things like provenance and, and like ownership and this, you know, provability and rarity and scarcity that it's a real, it's a real piece of art. And they told me about this woman who an 80 year old woman had come into the gallery who had been a lifelong art collector. And she, of course, as an art collector, you always want to know the new stuff. Like your mind is already set. Like what's going on out there? Tell me. Like they're at the edges. They're at the fringes and the front edges of what's coming next. Even though she was 80, she'd been doing that her whole life. So she came in and she goes, I've heard about these NFTs on television. And I want to know all about them. And so the folks at I'm Not Art in Chicago, they're all about helping people understand and be educated about this new art form too. So they let her know all about it. She saw them on the wall and she was like, okay, got it. She's, she really, you know, and to me, that just speaks to the art collector personality that's out there. That, so that's why I think it's a, it's not a Ponzi scheme. It's, it's a, you know, this is a new form of collecting art. And there are people who do it for different reasons. There are people who do it because they want to find something rare and then flip it, sell it for more. There are people who just like really, really connect with the artist and want to like own a piece of that person's story and, and have that personal connection. There's so much art that I have in my home that I, like I bought it from the artist on the street or the artist at the shop or the, you know, I know who made it. And to me, that's really important. So that's the type of art I like to collect. And, you know, I'm not spending a ton of money on it, but it, it's the texture of my life. And it's it's like how I feel you know, I want to go through this world is be connected to artists. I love how you said it. It's the texture of my life. And and by the way, you guys, Pam has collected one of my editions and that was such an awesome surprise and so beautiful to see. So thank you, Pam, so much. So do women have a space in the NFT space? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think we've noticed as being women out in the space that there's there's the bro culture that's going on out there. And that's what, by the way, and I think that's what's really, what's repelling a lot of women who, who don't know all the, the intricate details, right? They just sort of see the big bored apes and the bro culture and they're like, I want nothing to do with that. But what I, me and you are here today to tell loud and clear that that's not everything about the NFT space. There are people like us in there who are incredible. Like Pam, I love Pam. Pam is so amazing. And there are so many other women in there who are just incredible artists and we absolutely have a space right yes yes we might have to um realize that like like when we travel like you can go and you can see 
oh, there's the Eiffel Tower. Great. Well, maybe there's more interesting things over there. Like anyone can see the Eiffel Tower. So like if you're in NFT Twitter and you're like on Twitter spaces and you're like, oh, there's a space with 400 people in it. That's kind of like, there's the Eiffel Tower. Okay. You know, maybe that's where like the baseline, you know, like, like that's where you're going to find stuff that's not necessarily like targeted for you. (laughs) It's going to be like trying to just attract a lot of energy around it. And so that's maybe where people are running into like, oh, this seems really icky. And it seems really like, like a souvenir as opposed to like a genuine experience, you know, how we can find those things. Like, so I would say just maybe join smaller spaces, maybe, you know, because Twitter space is, of course, what we're talking about, where you can uh, join in as this is sort of like the Twitter's version of Clubhouse, like I'm not in Clubhouse anymore. But this is like audio, like audio chat rooms where you can go in and you can have a chance to just listen, or you can, in some cases, have a chance to talk and ask questions or introduce yourself or talk about your art. You know, there's different spaces for different purposes, but there are lots and lots of women out there who are trying to bring up other women. And Yulia, you are one of them. And I applaud you for that because, I mean, with with your spotlighting women in your Twitter spaces and in your newsletter and just, you know, like letting, I guess, being this, being sort of this like beacon of, you know, you're also, you're searching for women who are amazing and then you're elevating them. And I think if we just keep doing more of that, there are a lot of women out there who are educating women about crypto and about like how to do the the financial side of things, how to keep yourself secure. Because in Web3, you're in charge of your own security. And that's also like some of the, the scary stories that are out there that, you know, getting hacked or getting, you know, scammed and these kinds of things. So it is it is the Wild West in a way in that you are in charge of your own safety and you're in charge of your own actions. And you are also in charge of your own integrity, which is why like when people are like, well, can't you just screen? Can't you just like right click save that image? And I'm like, yeah, but then everyone will know that you did that because they can see in public that you don't own that thing. So you're, you're just kind of setting yourself up to be like, you know, not not part of the Web3 mentality of being transparent, you know, showing up and being with your own integrity intact and being a real person, you know? Yeah. Oh, I love, I love, I love that so much. Obviously, you and I are on the same page, Pam, because we're both participating um, in the in the NFT community. But I again, and and we're gonna link, but because I haven't seen that that video series you mentioned from Adorama and Lindsay Adler, we're going to link to that. So hopefully, you know, more people can check that out. But yeah, I mean, I'm just echoing everything you said. Like, I have found the most incredible community of people inside the NFT space that care so much about art in general, photography in general, but also my art and my photography and about supporting each other. And I haven't seen that in a long time. I don't see it on Instagram for sure. Instagram only cares about reels, you know, (laughs) and people want to buy each other's stuff. And, you know, of course there's more intricate, like there's more, there's, you know, we have two episodes on NFTs already. So we'll link to those as well. You guys, you can check those out, but just again, please check it out. We don't want people but especially women to be left behind because crypto is the way of the future to be honest and we need more women participating in the technology maybe you're not entering as an nft artist but at least be aware of this is what's happening so that you don't get left behind i think that's really important yeah it is it is really important and it's important to really educate yourself you know through reliable sources, you know, um, people that you can trust, sources that you can trust, but don't be afraid of it. Just it's, it is the way of the future. 
I think it's really important that that women are you know not left behind, like you said. It's this is this is a huge economic section of the economy. You know, like a, this is a really <laughs> that sounded really crazy, but no, this is a really big important piece of the economy, and and we do not want to be left behind. We are every bit as creative as as other artists who are not women. We are every bit as creative as you know. And, and we deserve we deserve a place at this, you know, as in this in this world. So, you know, it's just educate yourself, I think, would be the number one thing. And but don't be afraid of it. Listen to both sides. If you're hearing a lot of scam stuff, you know, OK, maybe there's some of that going on. But if you're also hearing a lot of, you know, like what you're just saying, you know, I mean, my daily uh, life is working and listening and talking to photographers all day long who are amazing people who have beautiful work that's very personal that's very amazing that's they're incredibly talented photographers and and so my my job is to help them you know onboard in the nft space this might be their very first time with with nfts and so i'm i'm helping to them understand you know the way in uh some of them come in and they're already like hot shots in the nft world and you know that's really exciting too because i can show them you know what what we can do for them that's different than other places and stuff. So, but yeah, it's, it, and, and just the amount of connections that I see between human beings who are artistic <laughs> is really heartwarming, you know, and that's really what my daily life is all about right now is, is getting to experience that. So, and making that happen. And sometimes we talk about art and sometimes we talk about, you know, other crazy stuff like travel stories, <laughs> which those are good days too. <laughs> Definitely. And, and what Pam is mentioning there is her uh, work with a platform in the NFT world that's specifically dedicated to photography. And that platform is called Sloika. It's a really beautiful platform. They do a lot for photographers. I've mentioned it before and we'll link to it again here. So definitely check it out. And Pam is head of creator relations on Sloika. So that's why she gets to uh, meet and onboard a lot of amazing artists in this space. So that's that's really wonderful. So... We've sort of covered a lot of ground today. And as always, I always feel like the hour is almost over and I barely, we barely scratched the surface because there's just so many more things that I wanted to ask you. But we're going to be wrapping up for now. Uh, but I wanted to ask you, what are you most excited about working on right now? What brings you the most joy right now? Ooh, well, to be honest, we're planning this trip in September to go live in uh, Lisbon, Portugal for a month. And so my mom loves to do travel photography too. So she and I love to travel together. So um, my husband and her and me are, we're, we're going to go um, live in a, in a flat in Lisbon for a month. And she's been to Lisbon many times and it's one of her favorite cities. And because my job with Soika is a remote job, I'm able to, to kind of work from anywhere. And I've, I really love that aspect of, of remote working. It's like, you don't have to ask for a month off a vacation. You can just go work from someplace else. So what I need to do is a lot more research about what kind of cool things I can do in Lisbon. So uh, she knows a lot of the cool things to do, but I know I'm going to be looking into like museums and food and music and, you know, um, where are the photo op places, but then also where are the like off the beaten path kind of things that I can do and explore on my own. So I'm excited about my research that I'm doing right now into Lisbon and it's, I'm at the very beginning stages of that. Yeah. So that I would say that that's, that's something I'm really looking forward to because I'm going to go there with my camera and I'm going to do my kind of photos. I'm not doing an assignment or anything. I'm just going to, you know, go follow my nose down a crazy back street and see what I see. I love that. I love that. That's so beautiful. 
And what kind of advice would you give to someone who is maybe thinking about starting down this path, right, of travel photography, of working with magazines, brands, tourism boards, just kind of following their passion and their desire for travel, for storytelling? What would you say to them? Hmm. I would say I think that the networking aspect is really important. So, you know, finding finding either people who I think that if you find people who who are doing that and then you know learning from how they did it if they're willing to share you know in the sort of web 2 area like instagram area people are like i'm not going to tell you <laughs> where i was or any of that and as we're going into web 3 you know there's so much more of a um everyone has a place and everyone has something to contribute and there's no reason to like hoard resources per se you know there's like this like openness of you know sharing information so i would specifically i would just say try to make connections with people who are doing something similar to what you're trying to do or what you think you want to do. The biggest piece of advice I've ever given myself that I go by is that I always give myself permission to change my mind because I've done a couple of jobs where I'm like, I want to be doing this. And then I'll get into it. And I'm like, whoa, I didn't know that part was part of it. So I'm like, all right, change directions. So yeah, try try to surround yourself with people who are doing something at, at least aligned or similar and then just make connections. I think connections are the number one number one thing to do and yeah be ready always always keep practicing your art your craft of photography as well so that you're ready to show up and and be ready when the opportunity shows up oh i love it that's so beautiful and uh, so so well said um and finally i always close with this question and it's it's a bit of a big question but how would you start thinking about what does it mean to be a woman in trouble who is stepping into her brilliance today. Mm. One thing I realized recently, <laughs> I was sitting in an airport in Mexico City, fly on my way flying home. But I just thought, like, at this time when I'm traveling, I have no stress at all. Like, my flight's delayed. Fine. I'm sitting here. I'm traveling. I'm being here. Like, I'm not, like, in my day-to-day -day life, I felt like, oh, it's like, I'm not doing things fast enough. I'm not doing enough things. I'm not like, uh, when you're traveling and all you need to do is do the next thing, that's when I find that I'm in flow and I'm just like have no stress and I'm like, it's all good. And so I think just coming to that realization of what are those times that I, I feel most like that and then make those happen as often as possible. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that so much, Pam. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful sentiment to close our conversation on today. Thank you so much for coming. I loved having you on and we'll have to do a repeat one day. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thank you so much. It's been a joy. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Pam. And if so, I want to ask you to please Take a minute right now to support our show. You can do that by leaving us a rating or a review on the Apple Podcast app or by sharing this episode with your friends or posting about it on social media. It really helps us to get discovered by more listeners that would find our show helpful and it means so, so much to me. I read every single review we get and I take them very seriously because I want to create a great show for you. So if you've been inspired by something you heard today in our conversation with Pam or in any other episodes of our show, please 
take just a minute to support it by leaving us your rating or review. And that is one of the really best ways you can help us out. And I want to remind you that this October, we're going to have an amazing series of workshops for our Circle members run by a talented travel writer who's going to help our members develop their craft. I can't say more right now, and we'll release more details soon. But for now, go check out the Circle to see how our membership is structured and how we support our members. If you're looking for support, opportunities, and community in the travel media space, consider joining us in the Circle where we have conversations on a variety of topics relating to travel media on a regular basis. Visit travelmedialab.com circle to learn more. All right. Thanks again for listening today and stay tuned for next week.